This is Ian Hartley. And I'm Warren Kay. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see Him more clearly, love Him more dearly, and follow Him more nearly. You will find the PDF document that we're following today on our website, rediscoveringgod.ca, where the recordings, the PDFs, the podcasts are all listed there. And you can share that website with your friends and they can follow along. We'd also really love to invite you to the Monday night Zoom discussion where we all gather in fellowship with each other, all us listeners of the podcast where we can come with our questions, comments, thoughts, um, resources. It's a wonderful time of encouragement where um, we get to affirm each other and encourage each other. Um, So that's a Monday nights at 7.30 Mountain Time. And just type in 403-506-9201. And we'd love to have you there. Today, as we begin this podcast, I just want to uh, let you know that at one of our Monday evening uh, discussions, uh, someone raised a question about judgment. And so Ian has done extensive research. Uh, That's why we haven't had a podcast for a couple of weeks, uh, because we've been developing this whole idea of judgment. And so uh, we have a very exciting Um, presentation that will probably take at least two, maybe three, maybe more podcasts to cover as we develop this whole idea of the judgment of the saved. Ian, why don't you lead us into it? Okay, this presentation is motivated by the apparent contradiction between judgment for all, as stated in the scriptures, and the statement by different authors in the Bible that Jesus has forgiven all sins for all people, past, present, and future. So why judge the saints if uh, all their sins have been forgiven? Uh, This seems to raise uh, a contradiction here. Um, In the presentation, uh, we will show that the judgment of the saints is not initiated by God, but by Satan. Then we'll also show that God is being judged by people and angels. And this is a natural consequence of having the power of choice. Creatures can then judge if God is worthy of their admiration or worship. Just before you continue on, there's two distinct things there. You're saying that there is a judgment of the saints, but God doesn't initiate it. It, It's brought on by Satan. And then there's yeah. a fact that God is being judged by people yes. and angels. So there's two yes. different aspects to judgment. Yes, at least. Okay. Um, so as a consequence, um, we will show that saints need to have no anxiety about the judgment. That's very helpful because often the whole idea of judgment brings up a lot of uh, anxiety. Yeah. Uh, We've all experienced that, at least I certainly have in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So also when God judges, it is to declare the saints innocent, never to condemn them. Yeah. That's revolutionary. <laughs> well, and it's really important to realize right at the front that God is eager to declare us innocent and can do that because we didn't choose to be born here. But it's an important process that needs to take place. So, you know, I've I've often wondered about the judgment of the saints of, and uh, I'm really happy to make this podcast because it's helped to clarify um, when this happens and who initiates it and who enforces it uh, and so on. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
first of all, we need to establish that the New Testament is categorical. There is a coming judgment for all, including saints. So we're going to share some evidence for that claim. And Sasha, talk about Matthew. Yeah, so in Matthew, we're going to talk about how careless words will condemn men in the judgment. So uh, those careless words uh, are about Jesus and God. Um, we're not talking about telling jokes. Right. right. Yeah, in the context of Matthew 12, 36, it's very obvious that it's talking about uh, how people are relating to God. Uh-huh. That's a good distinction because when I initially read that, um, I got a little worried because, you know, I thought, what, what are we actually talking about when we're talking about um, idle or careless words? And, um, you know, a worry came up for me about that idea of, you know, do we have to be good enough again? That worry came up for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so then when we were talking about bringing it back, like you, you went a few verses back to show that it was actually in reference to how we are talking about God. That immediately was like, okay, read in context, you know? Good. So we are on Matthew 25, verse 30, another place. Warren? Fling the useless servant out into the dark, the place of wailing and grinding of teeth. Uh, this sounds like a conclusion at the end of one of Jesus's parables. And uh, it sounds like a pretty severe uh, result or judgment. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And Jesus uses the idiom of the day as to what's going to happen to you when he's telling his parables. Mm -hmm. He makes the point and then he just uses the common understanding of what happens. Um, but notice it's the useless servant. It's not the saint. The useful servant. Right. Yeah. So Matthew 25, 41, uh, Jesus says, The curse is upon you. Go from my sight to the eternal fire that's ready for the devil and his angels. So again, um, <clears throat> this is a problem for people who uh, have not identified with Jesus and God. Sasha, you want to do Acts 17? Uh, yeah, talking here about Paul calling men to repentance and holy living for the day of judgment is yet future. God saying he's overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. And now he's, you know, calling people to repent of their sins and turn to him. Yeah. And in Romans 2, 5 and 6, uh, and really the whole chapter is about the judgment, and there's both good news and bad news. Mm -hmm. In Hebrews 10, uh, the writer says there remains a fearful expectation of judgment. I just want to add here that uh, guilt arises from within us. It's very seldom that we're innocent uh, of wrongdoing when we are guilty of it. Could occasionally happen, but... Uh, this fearful expectation of judgment. I've had this in the past uh, before I understood the good news of Jesus. You know, I felt that I didn't, I wasn't ready for the judgment and that I would fail hopelessly and come to a horrible end. I'm with you, Ian. That was me too. You want to do Second Peter? Sure. In this one, we're talking about judgment is linked with the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is the end of the world. And mm -hmm. so now, there's definitely judgments linked with the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And in Jude 14 and 15, Enoch the seventh from Adam proclaims that all men will come to judgment. The judgment will condemn the godless. And I think that's an important distinction that you can come into judgment, but that doesn't mean you'll be condemned. It's yeah. the godless that are condemned, but not everyone. Yeah, if you have a good lawyer, or if you're innocent, you actually welcome the judgment. In Revelation 6, verse 15 to 17, uh, you have a picture of how the lost feel at the end of the world. And they cry out 
for mass suicide. They call on the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the, the lamb. Um, so the lamb's not condemning them. The con condemnation is coming from within them. There's something horribly wrong in the way that they relate to the lamb. Um, and then Revelation 14, uh, 6 and 7, talking about um, the hour of God's judgment. The uh, angel was flying through and saying, fear God and give glory to him for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Yeah. <clears throat> and traditionally, this has been regarded as the hour when God judges people. So when we actually look at this case, we'll discover that it's a time when people judge God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really switches the perspective on that one. Yeah. yeah. And then Revelation 20, verse 4, it refers to the saints that are doing the judging. Yeah. That's a totally different perspective. Yeah. So one reference in the Old Testament along this, same lines is found in Daniel chapter 7. It says there's a judgment, the books are opened, and the kingdom is given to the saints. So this is actually wonderful news. Um, you know, it's not about individuals. It's about uh, who gets to be the prince of this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, the judgment is in favor of the saints. Yeah. So I think we've established that there's an impending judgment for all. Uh, we need to question why saints come to judgment in view of the following statements by Jesus. First of all, Jesus stated that he did not come to judge the world, but to save it. Uh, John 3, 17 God sent not his son into the world to judge or condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Um, um, Warren, will you read um, uh, 12 verse 47 of John? Yes. So 1247 says, I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world and not to judge it, which is a remarkable statement because we think, well, if we've disobeyed, then we're, we'll be in trouble in the judgment. He said, no, I didn't come to judge you about that. Uh, I came to heal you. I came to save you, not to judge. Mm -hmm. Jesus was also clear that there is a judgment and that his words and our words will judge us. And he states the following. So I'll show if you'll read that, John 5, 24. Sure. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Did you get it? He does not come into judgment. Mm -hmm. He has passed from death to life. That, that's amazing that basically we, upon believing in him, we, we go straight to, to eternal life. We bypass the judgment entirely. Yeah. Beautiful. And Sasha, you want to read John 3.18? There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Thank you. To me, that verse says that the basis of the judgment is not on whether I stole a candy bar at the store or I lied to my mother. Um, it, the basis of the judgment is, did I believe? in the light did i did i see jesus and accept him or reject him that's the basis of the judgment that's really the only question right uh, so a possible solution to this apparent contradiction uh, is that there is a judgment but it's not initiated by god or jesus uh, that comes to the saved at some point uh, 
uh, will show later that the devil initiates condemnation or judgment of the saints in an attempt to keep them from being saved by God. I find it very interesting to note that in general, it is not the judge who initiates a judgment process. A judgment is initiated by an accuser against the accused, and then the judge is called upon to make a, uh, a decision. Uh, if God's the judge, he's not going to be initiating it. Right. Right. Yeah, that's that's an important distinction to make. That because because often we we given the idea that you know God is our judge and we eventually have to face our judge and we should be afraid. But but yeah. he's he's not he he's not the judge. I mean, he is the judge to to determine how a judgment should be um, made. But it's the accuser that we need to be concerned about. And how good your defense is. Yeah. So in thinking about the judgment of the saved, uh, here are some questions that uh, might be helpful uh, to come to the correct conclusion. When are the saved judged? Now, I want you to think about that. Um, uh, when, when do you appear uh, in the judgment? Is it uh, before you die? Uh, when you die, after you have died, mm. is it before you're resurrected? Is it after your resurrection? Well, I feel like this is kind of um, that idea that you talked about, that he saved us from the beginning already. That it is already something that he did. So I, I can't find a place where we actually physically stand um, in the judgment. So you're saying, as Jesus said, the saved bypass the judgment. Yeah. There's no real time. We, we often think of the great white throne judgment, that that's yeah. the time every person is stands before the judge, but you're saying that's not the case. Well, I'm going, we're going to go to the great white throne judgment, which yeah. is in Daniel chapter seven. And we'll talk about this there, but, there the the verdict uh, is the kingdom is given to the saints so that judgment is not about uh, people okay per se individuals mm. it, it judges the little horn finds the little horn wanting and so the little horn's been trying to rule the kingdom and judgment is now given to the saints. Okay. The kingdom is now given to the saints. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I was thinking of the, the great white throne in revelation 20. Yeah. Uh, the final judgment. We'll look at that eventually too. I, I'm sure. Well. Okay. So there uh, are there different judgments for the righteous and the unrighteous and are there judgments before the millennium, in the millennium, or after the millennium? Even fear of a judgment where I'm not present can cause anxiety because the consequences uh, would be upon me in a personal way. We already know the outcome uh, of such a judgment if we believe in Jesus. We believe that we are passed from death to life, yeah. from guilty to innocent. And that's really important to realize is that he's already revealed to us what the result of the judgment is. So it's not something to be feared. See, what Jesus came and told us was that we are his royal brothers and sisters. He gave us an identity. Our condition is not so good. But our identity is how shall I say, superb, amazing, astonishing, astounding. <laughs> and it's secure. And secure. I feel like this is still very just sinking in. It's almost like I have to really hear it a number of times because I can hear us talking about this right now. And it, it feels so great because I'm starting to get this picture that now when I hear this word judgment, my brain doesn't immediately go to 
the worry that I'm not present at my own judgment and that I won't know what the outcome will be like I used to think. Um, but that I now hearing this when you talk about this in a different way, I am now all of a sudden realizing I'm kind of almost taking this for granted, but like, this is mind blowing. <laughs> yes. Good. I'm glad you're picking up on that. Um, when thinking about judgment in the Bible, it's helpful to ask the following questions. When does the particular judgment take place that we are discussing? Who does the judging? Is there a jury? Uh, of course, that word jury is an interesting word. Um, the, uh, the Americans, when they established their country, they made the jury mandatory in any trial uh, because they wanted to be protected from dysfunctional judges. The, the jury idea developed. Uh, we used to have trial by battle. Two knights would go out to battle each other on their horses to decide uh, what the right verdict was. And we even have this in the Bible where David and Goliath battle it out. And then uh, they decide that uh, Israel's God is the God because David won. So that's uh, a verdict by trial. By battle. Uh, yes, thank you, by battle. And then we had trial by ordeal. And uh, I'm gonna ask uh, Sasha just to read Numbers 5 because she really likes this story. Um, <laughs> okay, are we starting with verse uh, 11? Yes. And how far do you want me to read? Until uh, you're so horrified by the story, you stop. <laughs> All right. And the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. <clears throat> Suppose a man's wife goes astray and she is unfaithful to her husband and has sex with another man, but neither her husband nor anyone else knows about it. She has defiled herself, even though there was no witness and she was not caught in the act. If her husband becomes jealous and is suspicious of his wife and needs to know whether or not she has defiled herself, the man must bring his wife to the priest. He must also bring an offering of two quarts of barley flour to be presented on her behalf. Do not mix it with oil or frankincense, for it is a jealousy offering, an offering to prove whether or not she is guilty. The priest will then present her to stand trial before the Lord. He must take some holy water in a clay jar and pour it into dust he has taken from the tabernacle floor. When the priest has presented the woman before the Lord, he must unbind her hair and place in her hands the offering of proof, the jealousy offering to determine whether her husband's suspicious are justified. The priest will stand before her holding the jar of bitter water that brings a curse to those who are guilty. The priest will then put the woman under oath and say to her, if no other man has had sex with you and you have not gone astray and defiled yourself while under your husband's authority, may you be immune from the effects of this bitter water that brings on the curse. But if you have gone astray by being unfaithful to your husband and have defiled yourself by having sex with another man, at this point, the priest puts the woman under oath by saying, may the people know that the Lord's curse is upon you when he makes you infertile causing your womb to shrivel and your abdomen to swell. Now may this water that brings the curse enter your body and cause your abdomen to swell and your womb to shrivel. And the woman will be required to say, yes, let it be so. And I think that is as far as I need to go. <laughs> so how do you feel about that when you read this story? I tell you, if I didn't know, like, if you told me this was in the Bible, I would have said, you've got to be joking. That is pretty, pretty tricky stuff right there. I had a lot of questions about this. Uh, as far as we know, this is the only place where you have trial by ordeal uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it was practiced by the surrounding nations. The um, Europeans picked this up. And they used to have trial by ordeal for witches. 
mm. and also for heretics, where right. they tortured them to see if they would confess that they were guilty. So I'm glad I don't live uh, in an age where trial is by battle or trial is by ordeal. Yeah, amen. I prefer jury. So in, in the judgments that we run into in the Bible, we need to ask, is there a jury? Who constitutes the jury? Mm -hmm. Who is the accused? Who is the accuser? The one who institutes the uh, judgment process. Who is the defender? What is the verdict? And who enforces this verdict? Mm -hmm. So what do you think of those questions? I think they're very important. Yeah, I think they bring a lot of clarity to what's happening. They're excellent. Yeah, it helps us to sharpen our thinking. So we're going to do the first case study now. Uh, we have a number of these. This one is found in Zechariah 3, uh, the second last book in the Old Testament. And Zechariah lived around the time uh, when the exiles returned from Babylon and uh, Yeshua was the high priest. We don't know much about him. And he has this vision. Um, so can you read the story, Sasha? Yeah. Then the angel showed me Yeshua, the high priest, standing before the Lord, the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Yeshua. Okay. Warren, if you can read the judgment. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusation, Satan. Yes, the Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Joshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. So in the judgment, the Lord, uh, in verse 1, was referred to as the angel of the Lord. Uh, just a shortened form is used now. The Lord said to Satan, uh, you know, Satan only appears at the end of the Old Testament. Mm. Um, do you know the three places the word Satan is used? One in the story with uh, David. Is that where the, he talks about the evil spirit? He, uh, um, no, that uh, Satan uh, motivated David to number the fighting oh. men in Israel. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay, that's found at the end of Chronicles. Okay. Now, the book of Chronicles was written to encourage the exiles to come back to their ruined country. So Chronicles is written very late. Mm -hmm. uh, it's near the end of uh, the Old Testament times. Mm -hmm. Then there's one other place, and that's in Job 1 and 2. talks about Satan. Right. Okay, mm -hmm. now we, we like to say that Job was written, probably the first book written in the Old Testament. Hmm. So how can I say that Satan only appears late in Israel's history? Because chapters 1 and 2 of Job are stylistically different from the rest of Job. And also, Job never knows about Satan. He keeps blaming God for all his troubles, mm -hmm. like he didn't know about Satan at all. Mm -hmm. So we think those first two chapters were added. Um, mm -hmm to the book of Job very uh, much later, a thousand or more years after the book was written. Well, and as we've said before, the Jews, the Hebrew people that wrote the Old Testament, didn't believe in a Satan. Supernatural evil being. Yeah. See, when they say Satan, they mean uh, the prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, we have prosecutors in our courts. They're not evil people. They, they're there to draw out the truth of what happened. But even that, just what you said, uh, Warren, 
that idea that you guys have shared has completely opened up the Old Testament for me, where before any time there was reference to where it says, you know, the Lord said or anything like that, you know, there was never any idea that it was, you know, that there was influence by Satan in there and that <clears throat> it was also, you know, if, if, if there, the people are not seeing that Satan has influence and they're only attributing everything to God, that's definitely going to color how um, things are written. Yeah, very good. Yeah. yeah. So anything supernatural in Old Testament times was ascribed to God, good mm -hmm. or bad. Good or bad, yeah. For the very reason you've just given. So I interrupted you, uh, Warren, but Joshua, Yeshua, is the holiest man in Israel. He's the high priest. So he's the creme de la creme of the saints in Israel. You know, and mm -hmm. Satan is accusing him. He's not bothered with the common people. He wants to take the best of the best and show that uh, he should be kept out of heaven. Mm -hmm. Right. So the symbolism here, which continues uh, into the New Testament, is that your condition, your moral condition, is symbolized by the clothes you have. I've taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes at the end of verse 4. So, Warren, can you read the rest of the judgment? Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Joshua and said, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. If you follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I will let you walk among these others standing there. Listen to me, O Joshua, the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Now look at the jewel I have set before Joshua, a single stone with seven facets. I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. Hmm. That's, that's quite a long judgment. Uh, lots of things in here. So uh, we've got this reference to the angel of the Lord. Uh, any idea what that might mean? Well, I've learned that the reference, the angel of the Lord is really referring to God and uh most likely to Jesus before he came uh, to this earth. As a baby. Yes. Yeah. Because God is invisible. So this is, yeah. this is a visible form of God. Yeah. So um, there are a number of places in the Old Testament which demonstrate what you're saying. One of them is Genesis 16, when Hagar is sent away by Abraham into the desert. So... Let's read that one, Genesis 16, from verse 7 to 14. Sasha, you, you like stories? Sure. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you're now pregnant and I will give and, and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against any, everyone and everyone will be against him. 
Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Lahoi Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. So what I want you to notice is that the angel of the Lord and the Lord are used interchangeably here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the story starts off with angel of the Lord, but then it's just abbreviated to the Lord has heard your cry. Mm-hmm. So we read that just to identify the angel of the Lord uh, as being an incarnation of God in angel form. Anything else you want to talk about? How about the branch, my servant, the branch? What does that refer to? Well, it would seem that the there's a reference in Isaiah to the branch, which is a reference to Jesus coming in human form. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I also like the idea of um, whoever it was jumping in there saying that, uh, you know, let's get a turban. Let's get a new turban, too. And I just remember you talking about um, in a much earlier podcast, that idea of um, that head covering, uh, meaning having a new way of thinking and seeing yourself in a different way. And so that really jumped out to me now when we read it again here. Yeah. Good. And also, oh my goodness, I just feel like there's so much good stuff in there, but at the very end, when um, the Lord of the heavens armies says, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. And I just was like struck by the idea of the hope and the peace uh, and the beauty of that and what that would have signified in that day, what it would mean to have your own grapevine and fig tree. And somehow that leads me to the idea of abundance um abundance and connection so that just i love that well and i i think also the angel of the lord doesn't dispute the accusations he doesn't try to say oh no they're not that bad he just says yeah your clothes are filthy i'm going to take away all your sins and and give you new clothes right he's covered with new clothes so god is not um disputing whether we're sinners or not yeah we're we're sinful but he doesn't hold those against us because he we didn't choose to get born here so he can simply remove those sins and and give us clean garments to wear beautiful so when does this judgment happen um well zachariah lived you know somewhere between 600 500 bc um, he came back with the exiles from Babylon. And uh, so he has this vision. Uh, he sees it towards the end of the Old Testament. Who does mm-hmm. the judging? It's interesting that it says the Lord of heaven's armies. Uh, I think that's just another way of saying the angel of the Lord. But it has this connotation that uh, Jesus uh, in his pre-incarnate form was the leader of the armies of heaven, whatever that meant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there a jury there? What do you think? Um, the people, I guess, who were putting, who are getting the new clothes. Yeah, maybe they were angels, but angels of people. Uh, somebody mm-hmm. dresses Mm-hmm. Yeshua and new clothes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who are the accused? Joshua, the high priest. Yeah. Right. And uh, who is the accuser? Satan. Yeah, it says that Satan was there. He was the accuser. So the word Satan, the English word Satan, comes from the Hebrew Shatan. And Shatan literally means accuser. Hmm. So I can say to you, are you my shatan? Meaning, are you my accuser? Mm-hmm. It, it, 
uh, when sh uh, Satan or Shatan is used in the Old Testament, it doesn't mean the devil. It means mm -hmm. the accuser. That, this is important. Right, because didn't the Jewish people believe that he was actually part, still part of God's plan and that that was his role to be the accuser? Yes. Yeah, they did, they did not see this as an evil action or an mm -hmm. evil being. Right. I mean, that realization alone, I mean, just totally opened things up for me. The Shatan points out in great detail the sins of the saints Jesus has saved. He has an exact record and places saints in the worst possible light. And, and like the angel of the Lord says, yeah, I know this Yeshua. He's like a brand snatched out of the fire. In other mm -hmm. words, he was being destroyed by you, by the way. And I pulled him out of the fire of destruction. I've saved him. Mm -hmm. The destruction of guilt and shame. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So who is the defender? Well, we've talked about that. The angel of the Lord or the Lord of heaven's armies. Um, so Jesus does not deny uh, Yeshua's sins, but he points out, as Warren has mentioned, that uh, Yeshua never chose to be born on planet Earth. Um, he was just born into this mess here. In addition, he's born into exile in Babylon, and now he's going back to a ruined land, a ruined city. And uh, this is going to be stressful for him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we also need to point out that Satan, or the devil, is the one who has destroyed every sinner's innocence and righteousness. Uh, I want to read uh, two passages here. Sasha, if you'll read John 8, 44 to 45. And Warren, if you can read Hebrews 2, 14. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you are just not, you are just naturally not believing me. Thank you. So this is Jesus speaking, speaking to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And uh, this is pretty scathing. And uh, Warren, if you can read Hebrews 2.14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son of Man also became flesh and blood. For only as a human could being, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. So Jesus became a human being, um, and to live the life we were meant to live. Yes. Jesus is the only one who's lived the life we were meant to live. That's a really important distinction because he lived a life without a twisted picture of God. He yeah. understood God for who he was. Every one of else of us, we have a distorted picture of God. We were lied to in the Garden of Eden about God. We've been, God has been misrepresented to us. So how could we live the life that he calls us to live when we don't understand him? How can we trust him when we've been lied about? Just something that came up for me when I was reading that that text, the 44 to 45, um, I was just seeing there that the people here who are talking to him, they are really accusing him and saying that they are saying, didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? And, and Jesus is actually saying like, no, I am not. Uh, and then they are really saying, you know, he he says something else and they say now we really know that you're possessed by a demon and how you were talking about how uh you know if a sinless person came to this world like people would kill him like there's no way that um somebody who is embodying you know god's character would sort of be accepted and this is just such a perfect uh example of that idea that 
they're actually thinking that he is possessed by the devil by him actually saying that he's coming and bringing truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Number four, Jesus was executed unjustly at the hands of Satan and his followers. He thus has merit to pass his history on to any sinner who desires this history of righteousness. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. He can give us his history because he was unjustly executed. Yeah, so imagine getting to heaven and you Google your own name. Hmm. And it says, um, Warren fed the hungry, healed the sick, restored sight to the blind, gave hearing to the deaf, raised people from the dead. Yeah, that's amazing. Powerful. And that's you referred to before. That's my identity. That's our identity as to who we are, yeah. even though our condition speaks differently. Yeah, you know, you can find a, a Ferrari rusting under a tree or in an old barn, but it's still a Ferrari. You yeah. can find a Stradivarius violin with broken strings and cracked lacquer and maybe a split in the wood, but it's a Strad. You, know, you can't play mm -hmm. it like it's in. You can't drive the Ferrari like the condition it's in, but it's a Ferrari, it's a Strad, that's its identity. And therefore, its value just jumps exponentially. Finally, Jesus claims repented sinners as his own and presents them to his father as if they had never sinned, since they would not have sinned if they'd been born on a planet without Satan's harassment. harassment. Mm -hmm. And that's the point of this, uh, this judgment. So we continue with our uh, questions. What is the verdict? Well, Yeshua is forgiven, is innocent, and is righteous. So these are not synonyms. Sometimes we use forgiven, innocent, and righteous as synonyms, but they're not. Um, for instance, Judas and King David were forgiven, uh, but they weren't innocent, uh, nor were they righteous. Mm -hmm. So can you think of somebody who was innocent? Uh, well, I, I think of uh, David Milgard served 20 years in prison for a murder that he didn't commit. Yeah, so they finally discovered the murderer using DNA identification. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And children are innocent. Yes, yeah. the babies. And you think of someone who's righteous. Well, all I can think of is Jesus. He's the only righteous one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is, this is uh, uh, Sasha likes to blow her mind. Um, this, is, <laughs> this is really mind-blowing that in Genesis 15, uh, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Mm. Mm. Yes. Wow. And in Galatians and Romans, it'll say it was credited to him as righteousness. Mm -hmm. so, I can, I can say, yes, Jesus, in his own right, but Abraham is an example of a righteous person by God's own declaration. Powerful. Right. And when God thinks of you, he thinks of you as righteous because that's what he made you to be. And the reason you're not righteous is because the devil pulled the fast one on this planet, but you never chose that. You had no choice in the matter. Who enforces the verdict? Okay, the verdict is you're innocent. And so uh, Josh Yeshua gets clean clothes. Who does that? The others that were standing there put clean clothes yeah. on him. Yeah. This judgment serves as a template for many of the judgment scenes in Daniel and Revelation. Satan is the accuser. Jesus is the defender, and the cosmos, or those standing by, form the jury. 
Satan is identified as the accuser, according to Revelation 12, 9. And uh, so this, this judgment scene in Zechariah is really foundational for talking about other judgment scenes, which we will do in upcoming podcasts. Wow. Great stuff. Looking forward to it. Let's pray together. Dear God, we don't feel we're innocent, but you see us that way. Sometimes we don't feel we're forgiven, but you see us that way. And we definitely don't feel righteous, but you see us that way. Mm. And we pray for faith to believe what you say about us and to give up on our own opinions. Thank you, Lord. You promised us new hearts for old. We claim your promise. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us today on this journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. To enable you to share this with your friends, we've developed a website at www.rediscoveringgod.ca where all the podcasts are posted and you can also download a PDF document that gives you the passages that we've been looking at in each podcast that you can review, follow along, or share also with your friends. In addition to the website, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com if you have questions or just would like to share with us. We would be glad to hear from you. Thank you so much. Thank you.